In the name of Jesus, we pray. We give you praise, glory, and honor for your wonderful spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Shake somebody's hand around you and uh, tell them it's good to see you this morning in the house of the Lord. And uh, greet somebody. Praise the Lord. Then you may be seated. We, I appreciate, uh, I've had several comments about the Bible study series that we've been doing, and uh, I appreciate uh, your attentiveness and hearing the Word of God, and, uh, and I appreciate the compliments. God is incredible, and uh, He is a good God, and I appreciate uh, all that He does, especially His management of our lives. And uh, when, when we've been going through, and I hope you've been gleaning from this series on Psalms 23, what it means. When we understand that David, uh, and I'll just uh, probably do this every time we start. I think this is our sixth lesson on Psalms 23. Uh, but when David understood as a shepherd the management and what the control that went into a flock of sheep. When David made the statement, the Lord is my shepherd, he was making a very bold statement, a very proud boast that the management of my life, the control of my life is in the hands of the Lord. In other words, my life is not going to be dictated by some willy-nilly society. It's not going to be dictated by some uh, other people. Uh, Sister Cheryl is here this morning. She told me something several months ago, and it has just really uh, impacted my mind. And I I quote it oftentimes. She didn't know she was a great philosopher and would be quoted. Uh, But she said, she made a statement to me, you, not to allow other people to use your mind to think. And if you think about that, uh, not allowing other people to force you to think something uh, that, is not, uh, that is not what you are, not who you are, uh, you know, accepting the Word of God. You know, God, His Word is what tells us what to do, and you don't allow people. Uh, And this is what David is saying. My life is not going to be governed by the thoughts of other people. I'm not going to allow other people to tell me uh, what I should and shouldn't do as far as serving God in his life. And uh, so it was an incredible statement he made. This morning we're going to start uh, in, in the part of Psalms 23. And we're all familiar with this. It gets quoted uh, a lot, especially... Uh, sad to say, at funerals, uh, at times of tragedy, uh, this scripture gets quoted a lot. Uh, and, but there's more to it than what than what just uh, seems to be there on the surface, and that's the part of it where it says, "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Yea, though I walk through the valley." This is the midway point of the psalm. This is the halfway point. Up until this point, if you want to take this psalm from the point, uh, from the perspective of the sheep, 
David uh, is taking on the role of the sheep when he says, The Lord is my shepherd. In other words, I am a sheep in the flock of God. I am uh, taking on that role of being led by God. So, so using that perspective, up until this point, it, is just, it, it seems that this sheep has been talking to another sheep, to the unfortunate other sheep on the other side of the fence that does not have a good shepherd. And so, if you will, in your mind this morning, use your imagination a little bit. You can see David or this sheep standing beside the fence talking to another sheep that does not have a good shepherd and he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in the green pastures. He restores my soul and and he leads me beside the still waters and we've talked about all of these things. But now we reach the point in the psalm where the sheep quits talking to another sheep. David changes who he's talking to at this point. Because up until this point, he's he's been talking to others. Now he turns his attention to the shepherd. He turns his voice to the shepherd and begins to address the shepherd directly. The, this is the first time in, the, in this psalm that, that the personal pronouns I and you entered the conversation. It's the first time that these words are used uh, up until this point. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. He lies, uh, leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Uh, he's talking about him and he and all of that stuff. But now he says, though I walk through the valley Of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. In other words, God, you're with me even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So understand, David has now changed who he is talking to. He was talking to somebody else. Now he's talking to his shepherd uh, personally. During the summer months, sheep are taken from the lowlands, their home range, they call it, into the mountains. Uh, They'll take them, uh, shepherds will take sheep high into the mountains, into uh, big meadows and and summer ranges in the mountains that during the wintertime are covered in snow. And uh, it's a process to get them there. Sheep don't move very fast. So so in the springtime, the shepherd already knows the pathways that he's going to take. And he's going to get his sheep together and he's going to begin to move them towards these summer ranges. They're high in the mountains. It's called high country. When they, when they leave the home range and they begin this, this journey, they are in constant contact. They are in constant company of their shepherd. The shepherd has no other place to go. He has no home up there. He has no place to live up there. So he stays with his sheep uh, all the time. And it's a very intimate time between the shepherd and his sheep. He he learns them more during this time than during any other time. He he spends more time with them. Uh, He becomes very close to them and understands, uh, begins to see their individuality and begins to understand what kind of temperament they have and what kind of sheep they really are. And by the 
uh, end of the summer, towards the end of the summer, they'll be high above the timberline in the mountains, feeding in very lush and very green pastures, very beautiful grass, and the sheep gain a lot of strength and gain a lot of health uh, by being up there. The cold will kill off the parasites and the diseases during the wintertime, so by the time the sheep get there, all there is is just beautiful, lush, green grass. And as the, as the summer begins to fade and the fall begins to start, the snow will begin to fall and it will push them back down into their home range, back to the lower elevation. During this time, again, the sheep spend all of their time alone with the shepherd. But during this process, there's a lot of danger. And this is what uh, David was talking about, and we're going to discuss it. But there's a lot of danger during this time, during this journey from and to these high meadows. There's uh, the danger of flooded rivers and avalanches. There's rock slides. There's poisonous plants. There's storms that come high off of the mountains uh, sleet, there's snow, there's hail, and then there's even wild animals that would desire to take uh, some of the flock and some of the sheep. And, and so all of these dangers are there. And, and during this process, it is even more important for the shepherd to be very cognizant, to be very alert to the welfare of his sheep. When they are on this journey from this either from the home range to the high meadows or from the high meadows back to the home range, the shepherd really has to pay attention. This is where the most danger lurks for the sheep. This is where the sheep have the greatest uh, possibility of, of uh, losing their life or losing their health uh, is during this time. And it's the same with humanity. The same with humanity. We go through times in life, and we're going to talk about it in just a minute. But we go through times in life that God understands that it's during these times when we have the greatest danger, the greatest possibility of losing our life. Not physically, necessarily, but spiritually. We have the possibility of turning our back on our relationship with God. And it's during these journeys, this though I walk through the valley, it's during these tough times, it's during these, these valleys in life that God knows, God knows that there's a possibility that you'll lose your life spiritually. So He has put in place safeguards to do everything He can to bring you safely through the valley. You see, there's a reason we go through valleys. We go through valleys because we can't stay, and we've talked about it in the past several weeks, you can't stay in one place. As a sheep, and we are uh, considered sheep, Jesus himself said, I'm the good shepherd. He told Peter, feed my sheep. We are related to that. We can't stay in one place spiritually. We have to continue to move. And we all talk about wanting to go to the high places with God. And God, I'm tired of the valley and living below where I should live and living below my privilege and living below uh, a relationship with God. I want to ascend the mountaintops. How many people have ever heard that? 
oh, I just want to ascend the mountaintops with God. And, and we talk about Moses' great experience on Mount Moriah. And, and when he received the law of Moses and he came down and his face was glowing. Oh, God, I wish that my face could glow in your presence. Oh, that I could go to that mountaintop. Well, God wants us there. God wants us to live above where we're living. There are privileges as of being a child of God. There are privileges that are greater than where we're at. And there's only one way to get from where we're at to that relationship and that level of relationship with God. David said, when I'm walking through the valley, I will fear no evil. In other words, regardless of what life brings to me, regardless of what happens to me, regardless of how scary, of how desperate, of how life looks, I am not going to allow myself to fear evil. Because I know you're with me. God never turns his back on humanity. And we, 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 we like and we quote it all the time. It's a phenomenal scripture. When Jesus said, I will never leave nor forsake you. But understand, this is that was, Jesus was quoting, a, uh, was, was, was making uh, or validifying a statement he had made hundreds and thousands of years before, even through this, this 23rd Psalm, that I am not going in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm never going to, live, to leave you. So in this journey from where we're at to where God wants us, in this journey from our lowest state until these mountaintops that we all desire to live at, we envy people that have reached this place. We look at people that have reached a place of spirituality where they walk with God and, and, and they're taken care of and, and all of these things happen. And, and I do, we all do. We look at people like that and we, we get this concept. We think that they got airlifted. God just flew a big spiritual airplane down to the valley, picked them all up on there, took them back up, parachuted them out on top of the mountain. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. Very seldom does God airlift people. I don't think that God has an airplane. Even spiritually, our walk with God does not happen instantaneously. I believe that God does a lot of things instantaneously. I believe that He can heal, that He can deliver. I've been a recipient of both of those things. God can lift people up. He can affect their minds and their spirits and, and cause things to happen an instant and can affect and revolutionize somebody's life. But our relationship with God is a walk. We walk, with, we walk down a pathway of righteousness. Now, I can tell you that depending on how far you walk, it's going to take you a certain amount of time. I had somebody several years ago was telling me they could walk a mile in 15 minutes. Okay. Good. I can tell you that I can walk a mile in the woods while I'm 
going from one place to another in 45 minutes. Depending on how far you walk in the terrain, it's going to tell you how much time it's going to take. The same is true in our relationship with God. We're not always going to obtain some of the things that God has for us as fast as we think we want them because we're not as close to them as we think we are. Does that make sense? So the higher you desire to go in God, just like the sheep, the higher the meadows that the shepherd desires to take his sheep to to feed for the summer, the longer it's going to take to get there. He is not able to airlift them up there, and God does not necessarily take us there in a moment. We must walk the path, and there is only one way to get to the top of the mountain. Guess what you have to walk through? A valley. Isn't that crazy? You can't get to the top of the mountain unless you go through the valley. So a shepherd knows this. He knows that these valleys is the only way to get to the top of the mountain. Now, even going up the mountains, there are valleys that are crevices that come down. And he knows that that is the best way to get his sheep up to the mountaintop is through those valleys. He knows that. And so... Uh, so the shepherd will begin to push his sheep through these valleys. Now notice the scripture says that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We walk. We don't stop there and die. Okay, so keep walking. Now the valley, there is significant that, that they use the valley. And I told you a minute ago that God puts things in the valley to sustain us. And, and I want you to understand this. This is incredible to me. How meticulous God is in dealing with humanity and dealing with his children. The valley is full of danger. The valley is full of danger. It's in the valley that flash floods can take place. It's in the valley that rock slides can cause great danger. It's in the valley that predators hide. Predators know that it's the easiest route up the mountaintop so they will hide in the valley and look for opportunities to, uh, to attack the flock of sheep. But it's also in the valley that is the, uh, the valley is the place that holds water. The valley is the place that the streams run through. The valley is the place where the springs are at. So so many, uh, many of the things, many of the, the, the places of nourishment, the places of refreshing from God are in the valley. It's in the valley that the sheep walk through that, uh, that they find these watering holes that they can find as the snow melts off of the mountaintops. It has flowed down and is crystal clear and it's pure and it's cold water. Has anybody ever drank water like that from a mountain stream? A few. Sister Christy and I went to the Smoky Mountains a few years ago. Many years ago. Amazing how time flies. We didn't have kids then. So it's been over eight years ago. 
We went to Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, whatever you want to call it, that area. We went to a place called Cades Cove. Anybody ever been there? Man, wow. It is beautiful. We actually went twice that week. Brother Tommy, that's as close as I've ever been to a live deer. Nice rack. And I was probably about eight or ten yards from him. And I was thinking of any way I could to get my pocket knife in any way. He stayed just a little bit too far. But in all of that, we, we went to, to Cage Cove one day, and there's a big sign that said Nature Trail, Abrams Falls, 2.5 miles down this trail. Estimated hike time, six hours. Anybody been to Abrams Falls? Wow, that's incredible. Other people have been there. Wasn't they, weren't they fantastic, gorgeous, flowing falls hundreds of feet? <laughs> Sister Swan shaking her head. Sister Christy and I decided we're going to hike to Abrams Falls. And I told her, I said, 2.5 miles, six hours? There is no way. I know I can walk in the woods a mile in 45 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes. So I'm looking, man, two hours back there, two hours out, four hours max. <laughs> I forgot that we were in the mountains. So we go walking to Abrams Falls. That wasn't too bad going. She was in flip-flops. But it was a path. It was a well-worn path. So we're looking, we're going back there. We're expecting these cascading waterfalls. Now, I will tell you the walk back there was beautiful. There was a beautiful stream, kind of a river that flowed beside us, old cobblestones all in the bottom of it. It was crystal clear. It was gorgeous. Perfect day. We didn't run into very few people on the trail. We get back there, and basically what it is is just a rock about this tall that water pours off of. It wasn't much to it. We were really disappointed that we walked all that distance to see that. If any of you go to Cades Cove and you feel like spending six hours walking, <laughs> go to Abrams Falls. Be disappointed. But anyway, on our way back, we didn't take provisions for this. We had no clue. We're dumb. We didn't have any water, but now I'm an old, you know, I was born and raised in the woods. It was not a problem. As we were walking back, Christy's sitting there going, I am so thirsty. I can't wait to get back to have a bottled water. We are surrounded by water. It's coming out of a rock with green slime. Where do you think your bottled water comes from? It says right here, from a spring in the mountains. This is what this is, folks. So we walk down, and there's this big rock cliff. I know, I know I'm taking too long on the story. But there's just a steady stream of water pouring out of the side of the rock. So I just cut my hands like this, and I'm drinking water. She's like, there is no way you're going to drink water. You're going to get sick. No, I'm not. That's the pilgrims lived on this stuff for years she said yeah and they all lived till they were 30 
But that's good spring water. That water's coming out of a rock. It's the best water there was, and it was so good. And it was ice cold. I don't know how it wasn't frozen. I was expecting ice cubes to start falling out. About halfway back, thirst got the best of her. She had to, to finally give in and drink some water coming out of that rock. And she was amazed. First of all, she was amazed she didn't just fall over and die from this poison water coming out of a rock. But second of all, how good it tasted. It didn't taste like chlorine. It's just good water. And it nourished her. It was a type of refreshment. And it was amazing because the rest of the way back, every time she got thirsty, she would just stop and drink water coming out of the side of one of those cliffs. And it's such a refreshing. You feel so much better when your throat is parched and your dried mouth and all of that from your journey to find a place where water, that cold, crystal clear, pure water is flowing out of seems to be a rock that nothing should be in there. And you take a drink of it, it refreshes you. And that's what God does for us. Even though we're walking through the valley, even though it's scary, even though it's, it, it, it's a possibility of danger, even though life is happening and it's not real pleasant and, and you look around and you're not real sure where you're at and you look around and you're not real sure what's going on and, and there seems to be these towering cliffs on both sides of you and it seems that maybe they're closing in a little bit and life just doesn't seem to be what you thought it was. It's not that tiptoe through the tulips at this moment. It's not going exactly like you planned at this moment. It's the, it's the valley. It's, it's the shadows of the valley. The, the valleys where the walls would be so high sometimes that in these places that it would block out all but the, but, some, but the sun that when it stood straight up, when it was about noontime and the, and the sun was strictly over or directly overhead of you, you would get that light. Other than that, it was, it was dark in there and it was cold and it's damp and, and life has a tendency Sometimes to be like that when God is transitioning us from this level of relationship to this level of relationship. We're going to go through the valley in order to get there. You're not going to obtain the next level of relationship with God just by standing in a sunny meadow somewhere. But when we go through the valley, when we have to go through the valley, God makes sure that even in the valley there is a place of refreshment. That even in the valley you can drink of the cool water from the snows that are melting above you. Even in the valley there is a stream, there is a river, or there is a spring of living water to sustain you, to make sure that you're going to make it through the valley, that you're going to have enough strength to get through. A good shepherd knows that as he's taken his sheep to those high meadows, to those high places, that it's through the valley that he must take his flock. He knows that there's going to be water, but he also knows that the grass will grow in a valley. What is a valley? Let's, let's define What is a valley? It's, it's that space between the two sides of the mountain, right? Most of the time, the sides of the mountain are what? Rock, right? They're, made, they're basically rocks. How much grass grows on a rock? 
usually very little. I'm sure somebody's going to say, well, you know, I saw. But usually there's very little grass on a rock. So the shepherd knows that it's in the valley where there's water. It's also in the valley where the grass grows because it has water. And that's usually where the dirt or the most loose soil is. That's why it has made the, the, the valley because of the erosion of the water. And it's a whole big process. And so that's where the grass grows. And so the good shepherd knows that he will take his sheep through that place because he knows that they can be sustained. God will always sustain you through the valley. David said we walk through the valley. We walk through it. In other words, David is saying I'm going to enter the valley. I'm going to walk through it, which means he's going to do what? He's going to exit the valley. It is not a permanent place of habitation. The valley is just a conduit. It is just a pathway to get from where you're at to where you're going. The valley is part of the process to get from your life now to your life tomorrow. It's a part of the process to get from your relationship with God now to where you are headed. We have to go through the valley. So the good shepherd is going to make sure that they're sustaining uh, water, they're sustaining food, there's protection in the valley. He's going to make sure, but during this trip is where the shepherd takes the most care and the most time with his sheep. He's going to watch them closely through this time to make sure that no danger will come to them. I appreciate God in doing that. Do you realize that if you are a child of God, that regardless of what life brings, He's going to take care of you? Do you realize that? Now, it's tough. That's, that's a hard pill to swallow. And the reason it's so hard is because we'll look back and say, well, if God cared for me, if God protects me, if God's going to sustain me, then why does all of these things, and we make our laundry list of things, happen to me? And we understand, or we need to understand if we don't, that life happens to everybody. Good things happen to bad people. And bad things happen to good people. But it does not change God. God never said life was going to be easy. He never said that when you serve me, life was going to get perfect. He didn't say people weren't going to die. He didn't say tragedy wasn't going to happen. I remember uh, what probably one of the... Uh, the most horrible stories I can't imagine that I've heard was, uh, I can't imagine going through it, I hope I never have to, was that of the story of Brother Rex Johnson. If any of you are familiar with him, his wife and young child were killed in a car accident uh, by a drunk driver. This man is a home missionary. He's pastoring a church. He's serving God. He prays and fasts often. He's ministering the Word of God. He's out there helping people. And a drunk driver kills his wife and his young child and is, 
As grievous as that sounds from what I understand of the story, they actually burned to death in the vehicle, trapped in the vehicle. Can you imagine getting that call and you have this man that can sit there and say, God, I'm doing my best to serve. I'm not an evil person. I'm trying to benefit the kingdom. Why does this happen? But I've heard Rex Johnson himself testify that even though life is tough and even though life throws some things to you that, that shouldn't happen and they don't seem right, God can still sustain you. And probably one of the hardest parts of that story, in my opinion, was that Brother uh, N.A. Urshan was the general sec- uh, superintendent of the UPC at the time, was at the funeral two caskets in the front of the church. And after the funeral, he walked up and told Brother Johnson, Sunday morning you get in your pulpit and you preach. How do you do that? God sustains you. You know what ultimately happened? The man that hit his wife and child and killed them did not die. He wasn't even injured. He came to church. Brother Rex Johnson preached the message. That man walked to the front of that church. Brother Johnson prayed for him. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. And Brother Rex Johnson pastored that man for over eight years until he had a job transfer and he moved away from there. For eight years, every time Brother Rex Johnson walked to his pulpit, he looked at the face of the man that took the life of his wife and his kid. Tell me that God cannot sustain you. God can, even in very, very difficult circumstances, God has the ability, if we'll let him, to sustain us, to bring us to a place of of high calling, of, Paul said it, of high calling. Just It's that place in a relationship with God, and it's going to be tough sometimes to get there. So as we are going, David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. He made another statement. He says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He mentions two things there, a rod and a staff. So he is saying that as I'm walking through these places, first of all, God, I'm comforted. First of all, shepherd, I'm comforted because you're there. I know you're there with me. But you're not there just by yourself. There's two things that you possess that comfort me. One of them is the rod. The other one is the staff. And the sheep, as a sheep, God, I'm drawing comfort Because you possess these two things. They are with you while you're with me. Going through the valley, these two things are with you. So what is David talking about? A primitive shepherd back in David's time would have only carried uh, two things in their hands. They would have carried a, a rod and a staff. And we're going to talk about what each one of them are. We will not finish it today. The rod, first of all, and the staff are both made by the shepherd. 
The rod first, it was what we're going to talk about first. They usually, would, the shepherd will go into the woods. They will find a young sapling that is what he wants. It looks the way he wants it to look. And they will dig it up. They don't cut it down. They dig up the sapling. Have you ever dug up a tree? It is not an easy process. In fact, if you think getting a tree is a, up is easy, you get you a little acorn that falls out there like my next door neighbor has these big trees that hang over my driveway. And the little acorns will fall in my driveway and they'll get in my wife's rose bush area, little garden thing. And the next thing you know, you got a little oak tree about this tall with about five leaves off of it. It grows overnight. Now, once you get, if you want an oak tree to grow, it takes it 185 years. Where you don't want them to grow, in, you know, in two days they can be, grab that little thing and pull it up. It's only this tall. Pull it up. Nine times out of ten, you're going to break the little trunk off and the little root stays down there so it can sprout again and wear you out in two more days. But you can't hardly get, and if you do pull it up, you take a big clump with it. It's amazing that a tree this tall can have a root ball this big around. Imagine a sapling about that big around and no telling how tall. It was a process. It was a job. But they would dig this tree up. They would dig this sapling up. And the reason they would do that is because they wanted that area of the trunk where the roots come out of it. Because you'll notice if, that the tree, as it gets closer to the bottom, usually starts to swell out. It usually does this. Every, you walk out here in a little bit and look at these trees. Right as it gets to the ground, they open up a little bit. And what they would do is they would take and they would trim that down. And so that rod would have kind of a, a big end on, the, on it. It would uh, kind of a, a ball-shaped end on the bottom of it. And that's very hard, very tough wood. You can't hardly break it. That's why when we split firewood, we cut the tree down and split the trunk. Nobody tries to split the roots. You can't do it. They're too hard. And so that's what the shepherd wants. He wants that, 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 that piece that kind of swells out a little bit at the bottom, what is where the roots come out because it, it's unbreakable. It's very dense. It's very heavy. It's very thick. And for the purpose of the rod... It's a perfect uh, part of the tree to use. And so then that rod is shaped around that to fit his hand. So it looks like a, a kind of a long stick depending on his height with, with this big end on the bottom of it. And he will use that as a weapon. The rod is a weapon not only for himself but for his sheep. He will also use that rod to correct a sheep. The rod for a shepherd with some tenure, the rod for a shepherd with some experience basically becomes an extension of his right arm. Most shepherds will carry that rod constantly in their right hand and there's a reason that they do that. There's a reason that they, they keep it there and it's a, it's a symbol. The rod is a symbol of the shepherd's strength. It's a symbol of his power. It's a symbol of his authority over the sheep and over the circumstance and the situation so that when an a, uh, animal attacks the flock, the shepherd will, will respond with that rod. 
in my study of this, it's amazing how accurate a shepherd can be with that rod. Now, they don't generally just walk up there and hit something with it, but they will throw it. It becomes a weapon for them. And so when they're watching over their flock and they look a little ways down and a, uh, a wolf or something walks out, a coyote will walk out on their flock, they will get as close as they can to it, and then they will fling that rod. And they are very accurate with it. And that big, heavy piece of trunk on the bottom will find its mark. And there's a lot of times if that, if that shepherd is close enough and has enough power in his arm and he throws it just right that he can actually kill that coyote just by throwing a stick at it. Kind of sounds amazing, doesn't it? But they're very accurate. And so it is a sign of his authority that you're not going to come into the flock. You're not going to destroy my sheep. These are mine and I am here to protect them. And the sheep will find comfort in the fact that their shepherd has authority over their circumstance. The sheep will find comfort in the fact that the shepherd has a rod that can protect them and that can keep them from danger. If you'll remember Moses, who was also a shepherd, when God called him to go to Egypt to deliver his people, what did God ask him, what is in your hand? When God said, what is in your hand, what did Moses respond? He said a rod. And what did God tell him to do? Throw it down and it became a serpent. God was showing Moses that the rod that you have in your hand, it is your authority, Moses. When you go before Pharaoh, that rod is going to demonstrate to Pharaoh that you have the authority given to you by me to deliver my people. It is the authority that the shepherd has. It is in his rod and is given to him. It is given to the shepherd. It is, it is, so the shepherd has it so that he can protect and, and lead uh, his sheep to safety. It's also used to, uh, to correct a wayward sheep. If sheep are seen to be wandering off or they're wandering towards a poisonous plant, then the shepherd can take that rod and again he will throw it and hit the sheep. Will startle them. You know how sheep, well, most animals are. You startle them, they'll run back to where they feel comfortable, run back to the herd. So it keeps the sheep from eating poisonous plants or to wandering uh, to a place where they should not go. It's the rod of the shepherd. He uses it for authority and uses it for power. Praise the Lord. And I appreciate God having that authority and power in our life. And we're going to talk about next week what the rod is to us. There is an authority in our life. There is a power in our life that we can use to protect us, to guide us, to keep us out of danger, to keep us from going down the wrong path. And we're going to talk about what that is next week. But I appreciate your attention this morning. And uh, I hope that you've gleaned this morning from the Word of God. God is our shepherd. 